I turned 21 when I was over there. I wanna, I was actually on, oh geez, was it a 24 hour, 48 hour mission? So I never, I didn't have that cool 21 first birthday like everybody else mm-hmm. did. Um, so we came back and I was the youngest out of the group of friends that I had made and their spouses and whatnot. So it was always drinking was our thing to do. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the big things. It masked everything. I didn't hurt. I didn't do anything if I was or I was having bad thoughts or nightmares or anything like that. It was always, let's go drinking. And they were all for it because really what were they going to actually know that what I was going through? Because I didn't tell anybody anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a completely different person. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the Veterans.org and donations are always welcome at the Veterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. This is Pam Graham. I have the pleasure to speak with Amanda Cassidy today. She comes from a long line of service members, from her grandparents to her aunts and uncles and uh, to her cousins as well. I have known Amanda all her life. <laughs> and uh, so this is kind of an interesting endeavor to be able to speak with you tonight, Amanda, about your time in service and how you've transitioned from service member to civilian. What prompted you to join the military service? You. <laughs> um, you've always been my role model. So ever since you sent me Flat Stanley, or what I did Flat Stanley in what, yep. second grade, mm-hmm. and you had me on the ship, it was go time. Yes, my sailors loved having Flat Stanley and all the pictures that we took underway. I think I still have Flat Stanley somewhere. That's amazing. In the house, yes. Yeah. Now, I like to tease you about this, but why did you join the Army instead of the Navy? Well, I tried to join the Navy, and they told me I could only do the reserves. And I was like, no, I need to get out of here. So I said, nope, sorry, Navy. And I walked next door, and the Army took me, and I was gone in about... I think two weeks, mm-hmm. maybe a month, if that. Wow. So pretty quick. Yeah. So you went right away to boot camp. Mm-hmm. You know, you've always been very physically fit and active. <laughs> and I remember when I joined the service, you know, I was super excited because my recruiter said, you know, I didn't have to do man push-ups. Right. Um, but that was a lie. <laughs> so what did you think or how, what was your experience uh, as you went to boot camp and moved your way through your schooling? Boot camp was interesting. I was 
known as the bitch, towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a Russian drill sergeant a, and I think two black drill sergeants. Coolest people that you would ever meet. The one drill sergeant, he was a tall guy. Best thing, I wish I could remember his name, but we had bays. And I, my boot camp was men and women. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of our bay was the men's bay. And then our, we had two platoons, females in our bay. Well, one night they, <clears throat> some females wanted to, to fight and I was not for it anymore because I was tired. We mm-hmm. get up, we get smoked all day long and whatnot. And I just told them to shut up with a few other choice words. And I was the quiet little Midwest girl that no one thought that they would have to be scared of. And the drill sergeants heard it and came upstairs and I was known as the bitch after that. And I got promoted to squad leader and worked my way up. Nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. We've talked before that (laughs) school wasn't your favorite thing growing up so much. No, I hated school growing up. What did you think of your advanced training or your, you know, my MLS training? Yes. It was different. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a 12 November. So that was a construction equipment operator, which wasn't my first choice, but it was definitely better than clerical work, which I didn't want. Quite interesting. We only had a few females in my platoon for training. So Mm -hmm. it was quite interesting. A lot of hands-on, which was nice. So definitely like being here, working on farms and whatnot. So it was a lot of fun. I bet. (laughs) So you were an airborne combat engineer, mm-hmm. and with that, you had to go through airborne school. Yeah, I volunteered for that. Okay. How, and MOS. Tell me about that. In my MOS school. Mm-hmm. I was also known as the bitch in AIT, which is Army mm-hmm. MOS school. I was in charge of all the females in our bay there. I had a lot of drill sergeants, because we still had drill sergeants then, and they said I would go very far in my career and whatnot. And they're like, we think you'd be a good candidate for airborne school. Silly me thought it was like halo, like skydiving mm-hmm. type and not static line. So I got there and I was a little disappointed, but um, we started with maybe 150 females when I got to airborne school and you all don't make it. It's called the 21 club they'll cut you off at a certain time saying that you're not making push-ups the right way or anything like that to cut down the numbers because it's Mm -hmm. a lot of people go and they can only graduate so many people. So out of the 150 females that we had, I think maybe 30 or less graduated. And one of them was a Navy girl. She stood next to me Mm -hmm. and we made it. That's awesome. Yeah. Pull-ups was a struggle. I had a Marine that helped me with my pull-ups. He held my feet so I could do pull-ups because Army, you don't have to do pull-ups. So. Right. Once you completed airborne school, mm-hmm. you were at Fort Bragg. Yep, I correct? got stationed at Fort Bragg. And how long were you there before you were deployed? So I got there, yeah, January, February, I got there. We got deployment orders. Let's see, I got married in May, and then we deployed a couple, week, couple months after that. So I wasn't there less than a year. Okay. And we got deployment orders. What are your first thoughts when you got deployment orders to Afghanistan? At first, I was like, oh, okay. There's not a whole lot of females in my unit. And a lot of the females were clerical work. Mm-hmm. So, And there wasn't very many operators. So I ended up, I thought I would just sit on the FOB, you know, be in ops. 
and do paperwork and stuff. And they're like, nope, you have to drive the lieutenant. So they switched me from platoons to a different platoon so I could drive a female lieutenant on missions. And at the time, my husband wasn't supposed to deploy because they weren't going to have spouses deploy. Mm -hmm. And then he got it so that he could deploy. So I was in northern, all over northern, east and west of Afghanistan, and he was down in south in Kandahar. So it's quite interesting. But I was, I don't know, excited, scared, all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Something different. I was ready, but not ready to go. (laughs) Is anyone ever ready? (laughs) Yeah. I knew what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. Didn't know exactly what I signed up for, because normally when you're going on deployment, your deployment training is a couple months. Mm -hmm. We had two weeks. Oh, wow. In the field at Fort Bragg. Mm -hmm. So it was very fast. And then we did route clearance. So So when you first went and you were driving the lieutenant, was that part of the route clearance? Or did you... Okay, so what kind of experiences did you encounter during route clearance evolutions? A lot of it was okay. Got into a couple firefights. I was lucky enough to not be on the missions that we lost guys on. I lost the mission that I was supposed to go on. My truck was down. Um, So they took a different truck. So I had to stay back, which a lot of survivors remorse for it. But um, they hit an IED on a route. And uh, my gunner and my dismount got killed. Um, So that was kind of different. And then when we came back, we moved around a lot, so the last fob that we were at was uh, in Jalalabad. Um, and they were on, so there it's kind of, it's like mountains, not mountains like we have here, because mm-hmm. um, Afghanistan is gorgeous. If it wasn't a war-torn country, I would definitely go and <laughs> go on vacation there. Right. But it was on a hill, and a road was kind of carved in the mountain bank and they had fire from on top and the bottom. So it was, and we were just, they were dismounted. So just to get supplies to an outpost. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah. So how long were you there after that? The last ones died in November. And then we came home. I want to say we were home maybe a couple days before Christmas. Mm -hmm. So not too much longer afterwards. Did they have support for you? from the standpoint of being able to talk through losing someone there. Over there? Yeah. Um, we had our chaplains and our chaplains' assistants. Ours were really good. Mm-hmm. So if we lost somebody, they were on a chopper and right out to our fob. So we were able to talk to them. Um, I don't know really anything else. <clears throat> I was always with a bunch of guys, so mm-hmm. it was always put your strong face on. You know, we'll get through it. I mean, we all talked and stuff, but mm-hmm. nothing other than, you know, your chaplain or whatnot. So. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's a lot different from back in, you know, 30 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. 93 is when they lifted the combat exclusion for females. So integrating into that environment is relatively new. Yeah. Do you feel like it was fully integrated, female and male? Was there, you know, did you have a good camaraderie with everyone um, in your platoon? Um, Yeah. Um, All the guys treated me like I was their sister. Mm -hmm. They always looked out for me, so I never had to 
worry about anything ever happening to me. Mm -hmm. um, we, I was always known as the country kid. Like she can handle herself for the most part, but <laughs> <laughs> if not, they're always there behind me. I still talk to some of them here and there. So mm -hmm. you came back to the states. Mm -hmm. It was probably what a couple years after, or a year after you came back from Afghanistan, that you made the choice to separate from the army. Yep, like a year or two after. Yeah. What What prompted that decision? Um, I had my son. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would have stayed in longer. I was going to be a lifer, but uh, at the time, my husband and I had decided that it was best for me to get out so that we could have raise our son because they were also talking about a deployment again, mm. and I just didn't want to. They're always like, well, if you both end up deploying, somebody's going to have to raise your son, so you would have to give up custody, you know, temporary custody and whatnot. And I just, I didn't want to do that. Don't blame so you. I got out one month shy of my four years okay. out of the Family Care mm -hmm. Chapter Act. Oh, That's what okay. it was. So, okay. Gotcha. You came back to Wisconsin. Yes. <laughs> and uh, which we were happy to have you back. You know, you've gone to school, you've you've worked, you've raised your kids, had another child. Mm -hmm. How has the transition been from your military active duty service, including that deployment, coming back to being a civilian and getting back into society, if you will? Have you faced challenges? Yes. I would love to say it was all rainbows and unicorns mm -hmm. and sunshine and happiness, but in all reality, it's, it wasn't. I struggled a lot. I couldn't relate to a lot of people around here because mm -hmm. it's such a small knit community. Nobody really leaves. Mm -hmm. It was nice. I was only here my senior year, so I wasn't like intertwined with, oh, I can't leave here, you know, but coming back, it was kind of rough. Not everybody understands. I mean, I had a really supportive family because I have She's military on both sides, mom mm -hmm. and dad's side. So that was nice. The army really didn't set me up for success like they do some others. Mm -hmm. Just because I think it was, oh, you're getting chaptered out. You know, there's something wrong or which that wasn't the case. I was just, it was the right decision for my family at the time. But other than that, I mean, it took me a long time to get into the VA and stuff like that because you would never know. I mean, I'm I'm happy that the Legion and the VFW in our community is great, mm -hmm. and we have their great support systems. They can give you any information that you need, and if they don't have it, they'll go find it for you, mm -hmm. which was really nice. So, but other than that, I mean, it was a struggle coming back from Afghanistan. Like you see them, they live in poverty, and they take everything, like. You want to, how do I say this? When I came home, people took so much stuff for granted. And you're over there and you see it in a different perspective. Like, oh my goodness, you could die tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So when I came back, it was a lot of, how how are you doing that? Why are you doing that? I don't understand. Like, you, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. So it was, it was hard. Um, I still struggle with that. Not having... A structure was a really big struggle for me. I liked having to know that, hey, you got to have your hair up in a bun. Your part has to be a certain way. Um, you wear the same uniform 
you have a PT uniform, <laughs> you have your ACUs, and then you have your dress uniform. Mm-hmm. You always know what you're wearing. Now it's like, oh my goodness, does this look okay? Like, can I wear black and brown together? <laughs> like, do these shoes look okay? Mm-hmm. I still struggle with that, and it's been, well, Owen is now, well, he'll be 11 or 12, and it's, oh my goodness, it's just, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. So... It's still an adjustment, but I won't take it. I won't change it. Um, you just live and you learn. Right. The struggles are real sometimes, and you just got to step back and chill for a little bit. Yeah. I turned 21 when I was over there. I wanna, I was actually on, oh, geez, was it a 24-hour, 48-hour mission? So I never, I didn't have that cool 21 first birthday like everybody else mm-hmm. did. Um, so we came back, and I was the youngest out of the group of friends that I had made and their spouses and whatnot. So it was always drinking was our thing to do. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the big things. It masked everything. I didn't hurt. I didn't do anything if I was or I was having bad thoughts or nightmares or anything like that. It was always, let's go drinking. And they were all for it because really what were they going to actually know that what I was going through? Because I didn't tell anybody anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a completely different person, as you probably seen when I came back, even though it wasn't right after deployment that you guys actually seen me or anything. But yeah, drinking was a big thing. I didn't do drugs or anything like that. Just wasn't, I wasn't that person. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people that I deployed with, they did, but wasn't for me. I was just do the beer or I liked Bacardi and diet. Mm-hmm. That was my drink of choice for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> not so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I drank a lot. Um, that's how I dealt with everything. And then I don't want to say I was suicidal because I would never act on it. Did I have those thoughts? Absolutely. But my kids were always the ones like, got to do it for the kids, you know, like got to stick it out because you need to be strong for them. And they are the ones that I want to say within the past couple years. I really, I don't drink really. Um, <laughs> I turn into a mean person when I drink. If I drink too much, I can have a few and I'm good. Sure. But after too many, I just, everything just all comes back and I don't want to be that person. So um, I always politely decline or you can buy me a drink chip. I'll take that <laughs> for later. But I don't want anything right now. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, drinking was definitely my activity. That and I played a lot of sports, so drinking was always mm-hmm. in the sports. Bar league softball, that's all you sure. you drink when you play bar league softball. Um, darts was another thing. You play in a bar, so you're always drinking with everybody, which is okay. I've noticed a lot of people notice that I don't drink very much anymore, mm-hmm. which is okay. They don't. I, have a, I play in great teams that don't force me to. They don't ask. No. One of the guys that I play darts with, um, he subs with us every once in a while. He's also a vet. If I don't want anything and I say, no, I'm good, you know, he's like, okay, well, what else do you want to drink then? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, it's nice to have friends that actually know that, hey, we're, let's not push it in. Right. Because they've all seen me <laughs> in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And then just being able to talk to people. I think that's also helped. Yeah. Um, I don't need to drink to mask anything, especially since when you go talk to people sure, and letting it out. I'm in a better place now than what I was. 
Was there a specific incident or something that happened that kind of triggered you to rethink how you were coping? I don't, I think just my kids mm -hmm. is, I have to be there for the kids. I mean, alcoholism runs in the family, but just being able to be there with them and not, my, they're at the age now where they play sports mm -hmm. and I don't want to be that parent that is there hung over or have the shakes because I have to drink because I'm going through withdrawals or anything like that. So I think the kids were the biggest, I know it's probably cliche because you know, but really. they were really, really the ones that are, that made me stop. And then being a single parent on top of it, it mm -hmm. was, I'm all they have really right. now. So, um, they see me, they hit, see me hit rock bottom and now they see me build myself back up and it's definitely better all around. Mm -hmm. Um, not saying that they had it easy when I was drinking or anything like that. I mean, they've been through therapy and all that stuff. So it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows either for them, but sure. definitely the kids have, were the ones that were like, Hey, you really need to get your shit together. Amanda, you can't do this for, <laughs> they can't live that life. You have to not put things past, like in the past or whatever. It's just, they can't, I can't just live like, oh my goodness, it, this happened. Yes, it did happen. I've learned from it. It's yeah. made me a different person. I'm stronger because of it. Um, not everybody has seen the things I've seen. No. I was actually talking to somebody in the bar that I went to school with. And I had a few drinks or whatever. And he's like, you just are not that same person from high school. And I was like, nope. I was like, I've seen things. I lost people, you know, mm -hmm. like it's not, I'm not the same person, nor would I change it. Right. It's definitely made me who I am. I mean, I'm back. The happy-go-lucky Amanda is back. Yes, but you are. <laughs> <laughs> I still have those demons that like to flare up. Mm -hmm. So I kind of... If they flare up, I stay at home, kind of that little hermit. Yeah. So, but no. So you've learned some coping mechanisms through your therapy and through the groups and people that yep. you've associated with? Meditation is definitely my nice quiet time. The That's kids good. know when the door is shut. <laughs> Mommy needs five minutes, even if it's five minutes. Just, I need five minutes to myself. Let me do my little thing. Right. <laughs> Just sit in peace and reflect on what's going on, and then, okay, go time again. Put the so, happy face on. It's so awesome that they they sense that and they yes. know that. Well, Evelyn, a.k.a. Lucifer, <laughs> for sure, knows when Mommy needs to have her five minutes. Yeah. So um, Owen's pretty good. He's just, okay, Mom. And mm -hmm. then they, they'll wait a little while and they'll knock on the door and, Mom, are you okay? Yep, you guys can come in. And then I get my hugs and they tell That's me good. they love me. I tell them I love them. And then we go do what we're going to do now. So it's definitely, the kids are definitely what make it so I just want to continue. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So what are next steps for Amanda? <laughs> uh, finish college, go back mm -hmm. and get my bachelor's degree. I, I guess I don't really know. We'll see what the future holds. Mm -hmm. um, see where we go. Travel. Bring the kids see cool places that we mm -hmm. got to see when we were little. Right. But yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Well, whatever it'll be, I'm sure in a true grandpa form, you'll be doing it in general or butt kicker fashion. So. Oh, for sure. <laughs>
buckwheat's coming out. I right. mean, let's, <laughs> we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Grandpa's always in the back being like, you got this, Amanda. Biggest cheerleader. Yep. He doesn't even say Amanda. It was always Munchie. Munchie. You got this, Munchie. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Yep. I still have all the cards for basic training and when I was deployed and stuff where Grandpa would write his little stuff. Yeah. Grandpa, Grandpa Bill even wrote me cards. And that's very not the norm. And you're talking to uh, seasoned Marine Corps Vietnam veterans. veterans. Yep. Taking care of their old granddaughter. Yeah. Who's also a seasoned Army veteran. Yeah, definitely. Pretty It's amazing. crazy to, to think that, mm-hmm. that we have a long mind. Yes. Still wish I would have went Marine sometimes. Oof-da. <laughs> Grandparents, don't do it. Okay, we're not doing it. <laughs> I had the same talk. <laughs> I know. It must just be. Yeah. But yeah, nope, definitely. That's perfect. All worth it. Don't regret anything. You learn. You learn and you live. That's absolutely true. Definitely. And you're living it now. hundred <laughs> percent. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Can only laugh about it. Yeah. Exactly. You can't dwell. Mm-hmm. You'll learn. You'll take things for granted. Yep. You were diagnosed or have been diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. How have the resources been? Do we have resources available for you? Do you feel like being a young female veteran has hindered you or helped you in finding these resources? I think it's hindered. Yeah. Because a lot of it is they still have the thing it's, oh, you didn't see anything, you know, like you didn't, you weren't in a combat zone because that's still a new, when I was going over, it was still a newer thing doing route clearance. I mean, you had females that drove trucks that would get hit and stuff like that, but doing route clearance where you would do two miles an hour down a road looking for IEDs. I mean, that wasn't a common thing for women to do. So it was kind of a, oh, you did that. Are you sure? Like it was kind of hard. There was a lady that comes up to Osseo. Mary. Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to her quite a bit, and then I, she said that I should go to a women's vet group. Mm-hmm. So I did that a couple times, but it just wasn't – I didn't relate to them. Right. Because they didn't see everything that I seen. I related more with the guys that are mm-hmm. everywhere, you know, not saying that they didn't see things either or anything, but – my experience was a lot different than theirs. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would say that it's kind of hard. Um, I finally found somebody that I can talk to. When I did my VA rating and stuff like that, the lady that I had talked to for my eval was super helpful with getting me information. She was kind of shocked, like, wow, you've been through a lot and you're not getting any help, really. I was like, yeah, so it's definitely... Now, turning around, if you reach out to that one person, you don't even know who it could be. Like, I wasn't expecting to, you know, have this female therapist that was going to be like, oh, hey, I have really good resources for you. Mm-hmm. It just takes one person to help you, even if it's to reaching out to your local VFW or your legion and being like, hey, could you tell me where I can go? So there's always resources out there. That's great that you have been able to find somebody. Yeah. Unfortunate that it took so long. Right. Because it's just so important to be able to get that help, just have a sounding board, mm-hmm. I think. They don't even have to say anything. Just let me <laughs> let it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just let me cry. <laughs> yeah. Just let it out. That's all you need. It's not worth holding it in. No, not at all. It isn't. What advice would you give to a young Amanda knowing now what you do? <laughs> just keep doing you. Push through the tough times. They'll get better. Yeah. Just keep doing it. You'll get where you want to be eventually. Mm-hmm. You'll hit rock bottom a couple of times, but just build yourself back up. That's all you can do. You'll learn from your experiences. Any recommendations for other young female veterans that are finding themselves in a position that they're uncertain about? Reach out. If you have a VFW or a Legion and you feel comfortable going there, reach out to them. If not, you have every county has the, oh gosh. Veteran Service Office. Yep. Reach out to them. I have an amazing one in Eau Claire County. He did a phenomenal job. He didn't treat me any different. He treated me like just some normal, regular Joe, like another guy down that I served with, you know. So just reach out to them. They have everything that you can get. Awesome. Even family. Even family. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) We've all had those cry sessions with each other. It's very important and absolutely necessary sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if it's just like grandpa or you, yeah, you know, just reaching out to other vets that you feel comfortable with mm-hmm. that will just sit there and listen. They don't have to say anything. Yeah. You're never going to fix me. Just let me let it out and mm-hmm. <laughs> we can hug even though I'm not a hugger, but <laughs> someday you could be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One day I might be. Maybe. But yeah, just reach out. That's all you can do. And okay. if the first person doesn't help you, just keep going. Don't give up. Perfect advice. Perfect advice. (laughs) Yes. I so appreciate you sitting with me and talking about your experiences. Anytime. That's awesome. (laughs) So from the entire crew at the Orban Foundation, I thank you for listening. I'm reminding you, if you find yourself in a mental crisis, please call 988 and prompt one. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing. Thank you again. This is Pam Graham. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.